Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, hello everyone. This is Kennard Brown again speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is September 25th, 2010. This is the uh, first day of Sukkot for those who are observing the uh, what the world calls Jewish holidays. It really are God's holy days based on Leviticus chapter 23, based on the uh, new moon uh, calendar that the Karaites observe and also the Israeli uh, New Moon Society and other uh, various uh, small groups across the world and the United States. I'm going to talk to you today about a book that I don't think too many people look at as prophetic, but it is. Um, the general epistle of James, who was the literal brother of uh, Jesus or Yeshua, wrote an epistle, and God inspired him to do it. And this epistle, as I'm going to show you today, is addressed to the 12 tribes of Israel. And as I've stated many times in this program, and you need to prove this for yourself, because I have, and I know it's true, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel consist of the Jews today and also of the United States, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, the countries in Northwestern Europe. And for you to prove that, please go to www.britam, B as in boy, R as in rat, I as in it, T as in Tom, am.org. Uh, you can get his book, but if uh, you don't have any money to get his book, you can go to his website to prove everything that I'm telling you to be true about it. So anyway, with that background information, let's look at James and chapter 1 in the King James Version. It states, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greeting. So we know from this first verse that this epistle is especially for the twelve tribes of Israel, which I state the United States is a part of, a very significant part of Israel. Verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various temptations. And so when you understand that this epistle is addressed to the twelve tribes of Israel, then you'll understand uh, what James is saying in terms of our characteristics, what we need to work on, everything. 
in those geographical regions that I told you about. Everything that James is talking about exists in every one of those geographical regions. Verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, this is a key verse because in this country, uh, we uh, the, the media is not really telling people, unfortunately, what the real deal is. And this country is suffering under a tremendous burden of debt. This debt has accumulated since uh, Kennedy was assassinated, basically. Uh, after he was assassinated, and uh, when the Vietnam War started, that's when our debt started to escalate. But it really didn't escalate really substantially until the 1980s with the Reagan administration. And then the first oil war, it rose more under the Bush administration, the first Bush. Then Clinton kind of stabilized a little bit, but it skyrocketed during the Bush administration, Bush II, George W. Bush. And, of course, the Obama administration, we have reached record levels with spending. Now, as far as the Bush administrations, the, uh, the first Bush and the second Bush, there was... In both instances, there was an oil war that we were engaged in. The first oil war, of course, involved Saddam Hussein. And we had a second oil war as well that involved um, Saddam Hussein. So this country right now, some say we're over $100 trillion in debt. But uh, the last I checked on this website, it stated that uh, we were around $71, 75000000000000 trillion, that's with a T, trillion dollars in debt. And, of course, the, the news, the media like to say we're $12, $13 trillion in national debt, but that's not including the entitlement programs, Social Security, Medicaid, and so forth, and all the other debt that we owe as well. When you include all that in, it, it, it's anywhere from 70 trillion dollars to over a hundred trillion dollars so that's the mess that we're in right now and in verse four james is prophetically in those times as well as these times today he's telling us for us to be patient and in this country we we don't have that patience we we live on credit cards we live on in debt even financial aid loans unfortunately we have to depend on uh that there's a difference between a regionally accredited degree and a nationally accredited degree the nationally accredited degrees are recognized by the United States Department of Education. But the problem is you have some bias and prejudice uh, among companies uh, that uh, is, is not really good. The nationally accredited degrees, if they are recognized by the United States Department of Education, there should not be any prejudice about anyone that gets those degrees. But there is. And so that influences people to get regionally accredited degrees so they wouldn't have any issue. And the regionally accredited degrees usually cost a lot of money, and it encourages uh, the, um, the student to have to go and, and get financial aid. Now, the good thing about the financial aid program, they do have convenient payment arrangements. The, the bad news is that you get yourself in uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt for education. So, you know, a student loan is a good loan. I mean, you have no choice but to get it. It's just that um, I'm looking forward to hopefully when the United States Department of Education or someone 
state that, hey, you shouldn't be biased against someone that gets a nationally accredited degree, a distance learning degree, because we recognize it as a viable and a, a degree that is, has some worth. But anyway, it says in verse 4, But let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So if you let patience have its perfect work, which many of us in this country don't, then we won't lack anything, anything that we need, of course. And verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that give it to all men liberally. Now, hold your place here uh, is another scripture that you need to be aware of here. And Hosea, who's another, uh, is a prophet. Not to say that James' brother is a prophet, but he does have some prophetic uh, information in here. And the Lord's apostles and those that follow him did understand prophecy. Hosea chapter 4. Verse 6, which is another prophecy, because this is a prophet, Hosea. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now, it is true that we are lagging behind uh, in the world as far as education. It says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee, that you shall be no priest in me, seeing that you have forgotten the law or the Torah, the teachings of God. I will also forget your children. So in verse 5, interestingly, interestingly, he states, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that give it to all men liberally, and upbraid of not, and it shall be given him. But, but, let him ask in faith or in trust, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. In other words, he doesn't want you being indecisive. He wants you to be sure and confident in what you're asking, knowing that it will be fulfilled. And I can tell you from personal experience, as far as wisdom is concerned, God gives that to you instantly. If you just ask him, he will give you spiritual wisdom to be able to understand the Bible, and he will give you physical wisdom to be able to uh, be the best man or woman you can be uh, as far as uh, work ethic and, and having skills and abilities so you can contribute to society and, and contribute to yourself and and make sure you have enough money for food and clothes and the necessities of life. Verse 7, But let not that man or woman think that he shall receive anything of the Lord if you're in doubt of what God is going to do for you. And verse 8, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And you have one foot in, one foot out, and you can't do that. You have to be 100% for God. Verse 9, Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. So, I know you've heard of the, if any, any of you have read the Bible, you've heard of he who humbles himself should be exalted. Well, it says, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as a flower of the grass he shall pass away. Verse 11, for the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So shall also the rich man fade away in his ways. And this is talking about the rich who don't care about anybody but themselves. Verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust have conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, 
brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from God and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will he beget us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, so we should be swift to hear. So hearing, and Hebraically means to understand, slow to speak and slow to anger. doesn't mean that you can't be angry, but we should be slow to anger. We should try to do all we can to prevent it from occurring. Verse 20, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So the wrath of man... A man's anger, a woman's anger, is not the righteousness of God. Verse 21, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Now, verse 22, and this is somewhat of a prophecy, because many Christians today believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth to keep the law of God for us so we don't have to. And that's one of the biggest lies ever created by the devil verse 22 says be ye doers of the word so we have to do something and not hearers only deceiving your own self so if you just hear what i'm saying today and you don't act on doing it then you're deceiving your own self according to the scripture or anyone else that's preaching out of the bible verse 23 for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass for he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was or woman he was. Verse 25, But whosoever looketh into the perfect law or Torah, or teaching of liberty or freedom, and continues thereof, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. You want to be blessed in what you do. Verse 26, If any man among you seem to be righteous, or religious rather, seems to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, or control his mouth, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is in, in vain. And let me stop here a little bit. We, we are notorious in the United States and in Britain with the gossip columns and the slandering and, and, and all that. We have a serious problem in this country and in, in, in the U.K. And, 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 and the other territories I mentioned with slandering people. Verse 27. Pure religion, or pure worship, I, I talked about that last week, um, clean worship, non-dirty worship, and undefiled before God and the Father is this, is to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So pure service to God and to your fellow man is to help them, and to keep yourself unspotted from the world, and you do that by obeying the commandments of God and keeping the holy days of God that are listed in Leviticus chapter 23. So starting in, in verse 2. Now it's interesting that James starts to talk about, not verse 2, chapter 2, he starts to talk about the poverty issue, uh, the rich versus the poor. And we have an issue in this country right now with the rich and the poor. Matter of fact, the United States is the number one country in regards to the inequality of the rich and the poor. We had this problem today. So again, this book is, is, is prophetic. Chapter 2, verse 1. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of person. So we shouldn't 
have this respect of persons. And unfortunately, even among Messianic Jews, some of those congregations, they feel that there's certain laws. Uh, the Jews can keep the Sabbath and keep the holy days, but the Gentiles don't have to. And that's partiality, ladies and gentlemen. And this is what the brother of Yeshua, James, stated that we shouldn't have. For there come unto you your assembly, and this word assembly uh, has links with the Jewish synagogue, a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come also a poor man in vile raiment. And you have respect to him that wears the gay clothing, and say to him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou here and sit there under my footstool. That's partiality right there. Are you not then partial in yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? So you are uh, judges of evil thoughts uh, when you act that way. Verse 5, Hearken, my beloved brethren, have not, and this is a key verse, have not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to them that love him. So the, poor, the people that don't have nothing, don't have great possessions, those are going to be the ones that are going to be, the majority of them anyway, will be in God's kingdom, according to this verse. Verse 6, but you have despised the poor. Yes, and the, 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 the poor, the 44 million of them today are despised, the majority of them. It says, do not rich, the 44 million in this country, do not rich men oppress you, and draw you before the judgment seats. Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which you are called. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin. So it's a sin to have any type of partiality toward any type of human race. Verse 10. For verse, verse 9, rather. Yeah, um... But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are con convinced of the Torah as transgressions, as transgressors. Verse 10. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So if you sin in one point, you, you, you're guilty of all. You have to keep all the commandments to the best of your ability. Verse 11. For he that, and this is an example, for he that said, do not commit adultery, said also do not kill. Now, if you commit no adultery, Yet if you kill, you are become a transgressor of the Torah, of the teachings of God. Verse 12, so speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. You get freedom by obeying. You don't get freedom by disobeying. Verse 13, for he shall have judgment without mercy, that have showed no mercy, and mercy rejoices against judgment. And in verse 14, what does it profit, my brethren, though a man says he has faith or trust, and he doesn't have any work, so he's not, he doesn't do anything. Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? Even so, faith, if it have not works, is dead, being alone. Yes, a man may say, You have trust or faith, and I have works. Show me your trust without by works, and I will show you my trust or faith by my works. Thou believe that there is one God, and you do well. The devils also believe, and they tremble. Verse 20, But will thou, O vain man, but will thou know, O vain man, that faith or trust without works is dead? So the demons tremble, but they don't have any works to, to show God that you believe in him. And that's what the works do. 
they don't gain you salvation. What they do is prove to God that you actually believe him. Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? See thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was trust made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God. There we go. Abraham believed God, and he proved it. And it was imputed upon him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. He was a friend of God. Verse 24, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by trust only. Likewise also was Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. So you have to do something. So this false teaching that has been, oh my goodness, all for the past almost 100 years probably that's been taught in this country that Jesus Christ came to the earth to keep the law so that we can't, so we don't have to, is, is totally false. And this book is telling us specifically to the, all the tribes of Israel that we need to change our attitude about that. Now, chapter 3. Now, I told you about how we gossip and, and put each other down in this country. We have a serious problem with that here in the United States and the U.K. and all the other areas. Uh, James chapter 3, verse 1. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and also able to bridle the whole body. So we all in this country, and worldwide, quite frankly, but this is addressed specifically to the 12 tribes of Israel. That's what I'm saying in this country. And let's understand that the Jews are included in all this. They are part of the 12 tribes of Israel. For proof of that, go to Genesis chapter 49. You'll see that each of the 12 tribes of Israel are described in their characteristics. Okay. And Judah is, is of the Jews. The Jews are, are of the tribe of Judah. But many people think that when you, whenever they see Israel in the Bible, it's just talking about the Jews. No. In some cases it is, but the majority of cases it's talking about all the tribes of Israel. You see the word Israel. In some cases, it's talking about the ten tribes. So you don't understand that. You need to, to go to that website I told you about, www.britam.org, B-R-I, B as in boy, R-I-T-A-M dot org, and read his material online. And if you want, buy his books. I did. I've got about three or four of his books. They're very good and very biblical. And if you believe the Bible, you'll understand uh, what he's saying. Verse 3, Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small hem, whethersoever the governor listens. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts of great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defile the whole body and set up on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. And we have television shows today that are all devoted to the gossip of the stars and, and so forth. It's all sin. It's all sin. Verse 7, For every kind of beast and, and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed, and have been tamed of mankind. But the tongue... Can no man tame? It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. 
Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. And this 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 is a combination toward people who are prejudiced against a specific type of human race. When you when you're against a type of human race, you're cursing that that particular type of human race, whether they're black, white, green, yellow, whatever, because they're all made in the image of God and the similitude of God, and we have no right or the likeness of God. We have no right to curse them. Then people do literally curse, which is wrong, and, they, and, and then they bless God and think that God is <laughs> approved of that, and he's not. Verse 10, out of the same mouth proceed a blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive trees, either a vine fig? So can no fountain both yield salt, water, and flesh, and fresh. So no fountain both can yield salt, water, and fresh. Verse 13, who is a wise man and endure with knowledge among you? Let him show out of his good, it says conversation, but that's a, that's a bad translation, his conduct, his works, all right, how he acts. Let him show out of his, how he acts, his works with meekness of wisdom. Verse 14, but if you have bitter embering and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. What? What wisdom? The wisdom of strife and envying and being mad at somebody because they're achieving things that you wish you could achieve, that you could achieve if you just do it and get off and stop being lazy and just do what you need to do. Verse 16, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. That's why we have different congregations today. The reason why is, is because, as revealed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, there is not the same love for one another. There's different variations of love, which, of course, this, this book, the epistle James condemns in James chapter 2. Verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, or acts, without partiality. Partiality is a big problem among us here in the United States and, and the other uh, countries of Northwestern Europe and, and over in South Africa and uh, with the apartheid situation and, and uh, when they did have that. And New Zealand and Australia, it's a big problem. Canada. Partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown or planted in peace of them that make peace. All right, so let's go to chapter 4. So, so far... The first chapter opens and address this epistle specifically for the nation of Israel, or the 12 tribes of Israel, including the Jews. Talks about having patience. And then chapter 2 addresses the uh, inequality issue of the rich and the poor and the partiality problems, as well as saying that we've got to do something. Chapter 3 tells us to, to watch our time and how to have real wisdom. And then chapter 4 talks about worldliness and pride. Uh, it says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? And right now we're fighting a war, right? Uh, in Iraq, uh, I'm sure, that, you know, Bush, uh, what's his name? Uh, <laughs> President Obama stated that uh, the war is over or we, the troops are coming home, but we still have troops there, just like we have troops uh, in South Africa, or not South, South Africa, South Korea right now. The demilitarization. The, 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 the zone, <laughs> the de 
militarization zone that we have right now consists of armies right near the border of South Korea. And many people don't realize that we that war was really not resolved. It was just a, 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 a I forgot what they call it, but uh, it was a temporary uh, ceasefire. That's what, and it's been that way for years. So, and then we have, of course, uh, the war on terror uh, that's uh, in Af- Afghanistan right now. And we have other areas, hot spots around the world. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 1, From whence come wars and fightings among you? And he's talking specifically to these 12 tribes of Israel. Come they, and specifically the United States, because we are definitely a war uh, machine. Come they not hence even of your lust that you war and your members. Now this is interesting. You'll see where I'm going with this in a minute. I mentioned that two of the major wars we've had was because we were lusting for oil. You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. Verse 3, you ask and receive not because you ask and miss that you may consume it upon your own lust. So he's saying in the majority of cases war is caused because you're lusting for stuff and you don't ask for it. And and, and usually what you're lusting for, that you war for, um, is not good for you anyway. Now, I'm not saying that oil is not good for us, but we depend on it too much. We depend too much on foreign oil. Uh, there's been many different articles and some books written that we can we have enough oil in this country, but we don't want to, to spend the time and the resources to, to tap into the oil that we need. We, we rather just go and, and um, get foreign oil, and then many companies are getting rich off that anyway, so when it comes to money, they don't want to break that cycle. So anyway, verse 4, Ye adulterers and adulterers, know ye not that the, the friendship of the world is enmity or hostile with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world, whoever will be a friend of the world, is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwells in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he said, God resists the proud, but he gives grace into the, or favor to the humble. Verse 7, Submit yourselves, therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. So if you if you stand up to the devil and say, hey, I don't want to do that. Get away from me. May the Lord rebuke you. God must, I mean, the devil must leave you. Verse 8, draw near to God, which includes fasting. Uh, no food or no water for 24 hours. I'll give a Bible study on that in the future. Uh, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaven. So he's showing those people specifically in the 12 tribes of Israel how to repent, how to change your mind. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Verse 11, speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaks evil of the law. So we shouldn't speak evil of our fellow human being, ladies and gentlemen. We shouldn't do that. Unless, of course, they are doing something evil and it, and it has to be bought out what this person's doing or else it's going to hurt other people. But this is talking about malicious, slandering, and, and just downright degrading someone's character. That's what it's talking about. And judge's brother speaking evil of the law. It says, and judge of his brother speaks evil of the law. Whenever you slander someone, you're speaking evil of the law. And judge is the law. And you're judging the teachings of God. But if you t- judge the teachings of God, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judges another? Verse 13, go to now ye that say tomorrow or 
I mean, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get grain. Whereas you know not what shall be on tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away or disappears. Verse 15, for that you ought to say, and I, I, I try to do this the best of my ability because I have a lot of goals, but, hey, I know that, you know, God could take my life away allow to, to go tomorrow and, and so forth. We don't know. So we should always live each day like it's our last day. Uh, verse 15, for that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Verse 16, but now you rejoice in your boastings. All sorts of rejoicing is evil. So when you say you're going to do this and do that, you should always say, if it's God's will, God willing. Because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. None of us do. As verse 14 states, whereas you know not what shall be on tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanish away. I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm just reading the scriptures and telling you we all don't know when, when it's going to be our last day. Verse 16, but now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. And we should always pray that, of course, <laughs> we have long, long, um, hearty lives. We should. Verse 17, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and does not, to him it is sin. So you have to know what you're doing is, is against God's law. If you don't know what you're doing, then God won't hold that to you as sin. That's what that says there. All right. Now, chapter 5 gets into the rich again. This is a warning to the rich. And James put a specific timing on this, on, on, on this uh, uh, series of scriptures here, as you're going to see here. Okay. James, chapter 5, verse 1, states this. Go to now, you rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Now, again, understand that this epistle is addressed to the 12 tribes of Israel, which the United States will who consists of uh, Manasseh and of, uh, in the Bible, when it talks about Ephraim or Ephraim in the, um, the Old Testament or the Tanakh, it, it, it can refer also to the ten lost tribes of Israel, which consists of the United States and, and Britain and Canada and the countries of Northwestern Europe, New Zealand, Australia, and South Africa. But this prophecy is, is for us because we are the richest uh, countries in the world or areas in the world. James chapter 5, verse 1. Go to now, you rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is canker, corroded, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for... The last days, that's a Jewish idiom, idiom to mean uh, the days before the coming of the Messiah. And those are the days that we're living in today. Uh, this country has never been as rich as it is right now. We have a $14 trillion gross domestic product. And here's an article from the New York Times that supports what James is prophetically saying here. Uh, this is an article dated July 16, 2010 by Matuku Rich. That's interesting. His last name is Rich. Uh, wealthy reduced buying and a blow to the recovery. And they called us a recovery, a jobless uh, recovery, which I consider an oxymoron. Oxymoron is two uh, words that are, conflict each other. And it, it, it can't be a jobless recovery. That's ridiculous. If for anything to be a recovery, it can't be jobless. <laughs> anyway, 
It's like God says, uh, our people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Not all our people, but a majority of them are. And it's talking about being mentally destroyed, not able to think properly and clearly and logically about things. Um, so anyway, this article, you can Google this, is uh, Wealthy, Reduce, Buying, and a Blow to the Recovery by Matuku Rich, uh, dated July 16, 2010, by the New York Times. It says, the economic recovery has been helped in large part by the spending of the most affluent, those who are rich. Now, even the rich appear to be tightening their belts. Now, even the rich appear to be tightening their belts. Now, this is dated July 16, 2010. It's quite recent. Late last year, the highest-income households started spending more confidently while other consumers held back, but their confidence has since ebbed, according to retail sales reports and some economic analysis. One of the reasons that the so-called, I'm going to put so-called, recovery has lost momentum is that high-end consumers have become more jittery and more cautious, says Mark Zandi, chief economist for Moody Analytics. That cautious attitude stems in part from concerns about global instability, especially in Europe, and in part from the volatility of the stock market in recent months. Major stock indexes fell sharply on Friday after several big companies announced disappointing earnings. Bank stocks were the biggest losers as investors wrestled with the twin issues of lower trading profits from Citibank and Bank of America and the prospect that new financial regulation would further trip their businesses. So anyway, I'm not going to read the rest of this. Um, this prophecy that James is referring to is, is, is starting to be fulfilled here because people, the rich, are starting to be concerned now. And he stated that your riches are corrupted and your garments are mouth-eaten. Your gold and silver is canker. The beginning process of that is starting now. And the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. So this is talking about the 21st century. Verse 4. For behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you, kept back by fraud. So wages are being kept by, by fraud. Let me read to you another, some information that I have here about that, if I can find it here. I uh, just had it here. Here we go. Uh, the state of, you can find this off the Internet, the state of working America, 2006-2007. Type in wages. So when you Google this, type in the state of working America, which is, published by the uh, Excellent Economic Policy Institute organization. Their sole purpose is to give you the true facts and figures about the economy and socioeconomics. Socioeconomics is the study of uh, economics and how it affects you socially or in your lives. All right, so the State of Working America, 2006-2007, type in wages. After you type in the State of Working America, 2006-2007, and you, what should appear is a, a document on wages. And let me read this to you, because verse 4 is describing what is described here in this document. Now, verse 4 of James 5, verse 4 states that, Behold, the higher the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabaoth, or the armies. And in verse 5 it says, You have lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just, and he does not resist you. 
Okay, so let me read this. It says, the major development in the labor market in recent years has been the stunning divergence between rapidly rising productivity without a parallel rise in wages. And that's what that's talking about here in James 5, verse 4. There's also another scripture to help us understand that in Malachi, which we will turn to. Wages failed to rise for typical workers after 2001. And what does this verse say? It says, Behold, I hire the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud. So their wages are kept back. They're oppressed. Their wages aren't rising, just as this document states here. Uh, it says, um, the major development in the labor market in recent years has been the stunning divergence between rapidly rising productivity without a parallel rise in wages. Wages failed to rise for typical workers after 2001, even as half of the productivity growth for the 1995 to 2005 period occurred since then. Wage growth was pummeled by poor job creation and increased job shortages during the, the early 2000s recession and lackluster recovery. It says, over the 1995-2005 period, the output of goods and services per hour of work grew a remarkable 33.4% and had pay followed, the wages for most working people would have risen correspondingly. There has been basically no, let me read this, there has, basic, there has been basically no there has been basically no wage improvement for typical workers since 2001. And what happened in 2001? The terrorist attacks. The Twin Towers being destroyed by airplanes. Even though half the productivity growth from 1995 to 2005 occurred since then. And then from 1979 to 2005, there has been a giant scale shift from wages to profits as profitability surged. Okay. And it says, had pre-tax profitability in 2005 been at the 1975 level, then hourly compensation could have been hourly compensation could have been five percent higher, but that wasn't the case. Now, here we go. Here, over the 1992 to 2005 period, the median or average CEO saw price rise by 186.2 percent. So the CEO's salaries rose 186.2 percent. While the median worker, the average worker, saw wages rise by just 7.2%. That's what James is talking about here. In 1965, U.S. CEOs and major companies earned 24 times, 24 times more than an average worker. This ratio grew to 262 by 2005. That's just totally ridiculous. Wages fell among entry-level group, both high school and college-educated workers, and both men and women in the period of sluggish wage growth since the year 2000, since the 21st century. This contrasts to the extremely strong wage growth for each of these groups from 1995 to 2000 when wages rose roughly 10% for entry-level high school men and women and 20.9% for entry-level college men and 11.7% for college women. But that case is no longer the case now. Uh, wages aren't rising, ladies and gentlemen. It says over the 2000-2004 period, 2004 is the latest year of data we have in this series. Annual wages declined by 0.3% annually, and hourly wages in inflation-adjusted terms fell by 0.1% annually. The process of globalization since the 1980s has been an important factor in slowing the growth rate of average wages and reducing the wage levels of workers with less than a college degree. The manufacturing trade deficit grew to 586, $586 billion in 2005 or to 4.6 of the gross domestic product from a position of balance in 1979. 
Less than half the workforce is covered by employer-provided pensions. Less than half the workforce. Pension coverage proceeded in the 2000 to 2004 period, the latest data, down to 45.5%. says, holding all else constant, a rise in immigration increases the available labor supply in the United States and thus tends to reduce wages. So holding all else constant, a rise in immigration increases the available labor supply in the United States and thus tends to reduce wages. Since the largest share of immigrants is found since the largest share of immigrants is found among those without a high school degree, it would be that group of native workers most affected by immigration. The share of workers earning poverty level wages actually fell from 2000 to 2005, from 25.1% to 24.5%. This progress came in the first two years of that period and then partially reversed. Blacks were the only blacks were the only race ethnic group to see a growth in poverty level wage earners over the 2005 period. So blacks, unfortunately, had uh, increased the, the poverty level wage earners category. says so the federal minimum wage is now so low, well, at this time it was five, it's, it's risen now to $7. So I'm not going to read that, so that doesn't count. But anyway, you can tell that things don't really look good here in this country as far as wages. And then there's a prophecy here. I've got 14 minutes left. Let's turn to Malachi. And I'm going to read the rest of James here. Malachi, chapter 3, and you notice in verse 1, it says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, talking about the future Elijah, as well as the past Elijah, who was John the Baptist. And the Lord, whom you seek, shall suddenly come to his temple. He did back then in the first century. He will come to a rebuilt temple again in the second coming. Even the messenger of the covenant, whom you delight in, behold, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. So it talks about him coming. And then it states here in verse 5, And I will come near to you in judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, and against the adulterers, and against false swearers, and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages. And that is what's going on in this country. And the widow, and the fatherless, and them that turn aside the stranger from his right, and fear not me, says the Lord of hosts. As I try to explain to people, God is going to do what he's going to do, because of the plight of the poor. He does not like the poor struggling like they are. And and Psalm chapter, I think it's chapter 12, is another prophecy that states he will rise because of this, because of the oppression of the poor. Psalm 12, verse 5, For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I rise, says the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. So God is, is, is rising, and he's going to totally rise and come back to this earth and free the oppressed from being oppressed very soon. Not predicting dates, but I know it's soon, and I know it's near, based on the prophecies and the social conditions of the world, in particular this country to which leads the world, and most most countries follow our lead. Okay, and verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. So when we see all this, when we see this vast inequality of the rich and the poor, and we see that wages are being kept back, we know that his coming is near. It says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waited for the precious fruit of the earth, and have long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. 
be also patient. The early rain is talking about the fall festivals of Leviticus chapter 23, which is the Feast of Trumpets, the uh, Yom Kippur, or Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, and the, the Festival of Tabernacles, which is the cult, and Shemini Atzeret, which is the, uh, the last great day. And I, I do cover that in the Bible studies that I have done in the archives. So go ahead and, and review the archives, and you'll find a Bible study on each and every one of the, on the holy days. Of, of Leviticus chapter 23, and the latter rain is talking about the fall, uh, the the spring festivals, which is uh, you have the Passover, uh, and then you have the first and last day of unleavened bread, and you have Pentecost or Shavuot. Verse eight: Be ye also patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draws near. How do we know it's drawing near? Based on what He said about the rich, that the rich have stored up treasure in the last days. We have the most billionaires in this country. And I don't think any other country has been as rich, richer than uh, the United States, other than perhaps the kingdom of Solomon back in uh, Old Testament times. Verse 8, Be also patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draws near. Verse 9, Grudge not one against another, brethren, that not you be condemned. Behold, the judge stands before So you stand at the door right now, and if you look at Revelation chapter 3, when it talks about the Laodicean church, uh, the same phraseology is used as far as him standing at the door. Uh, I think I have you know, 10 minutes. I have a little more time here. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. He talks about how rich. It says, these things says the Amen. Uh, this is verse 14, verse 3, verse 14. Faithful and true. What is the beginning of the creation of God? That means exactly what it means, ladies and gentlemen. Verse 15, I know thy works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that were, I would that you were either cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because you say I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And know not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And it's talking about even the churches of our Israelitish nations. Uh, most of them are for profit, and they make a lot of money off the people. And that's what he's talking about here. Verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich. So the churches, unfortunately, reflect the secular corporations, a lot of them are corporations, and they're making a lot of money. Verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich, and, and white raiment that you may be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that you may see. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke or correct and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door. Same phraseology. In James chapter 5, what does he state here? He states, verse 9, grudge not one another, brethren, that not you be condemned. Behold, a judge standeth before the door. And he says, if any man hear my voice, and back in uh, Revelation 3, verse 20, and open a door, I will come into him and will sup or have dinner with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. A tremendous promise there. Verse 22, he that has an ear, let him hear or understand what the Spirit has said unto the assemblies or the churches. So back in James chapter 5, verse 10, Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. 
Verse 11, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your nay be nay, that not you fall into condemnation. Verse 13, If any among you are afflicted, if any among you are afflicted, let him pray. So if you're going through problems, talk to God. If any married, let him sing psalms. So you should you should sing psalms and you should listen to music. That makes you happy. Uh, verse 14, and I'm talking about godly music, not just rap junk and, and all this other Lady Gaga mess and everything else that people are listening to. You should listen to wholesome music, uh, 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 music by Beethoven, uh, classical music, music that calms your nerves, uh, messianic music, uh, music that that puts God on your mind. That's the kind of music that you need to be listening to. Verse 14, is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And a prayer of the faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if you have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So that's part of pure religion is caring about the sick and praying for them and those who are considered elders of the church, leaders of any assembly, you should be anointing them and praying that God heals them. Verse 19, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So we should confess our our uh, sicknesses and diseases to one another and pray for one another that we may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And he gives an example here. Verse 17, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth for a space of three and a half years, which is interesting because the two witnesses uh, will, or the two congregations and, and two individuals, or that they will uh, have that power to, to make it not rain for three and a half years, as is revealed in Revelation chapter 11. Verse 18, And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Verse 19, Brethren, did any of you err from the truth? And one, convert him. Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the air of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. So this is a great book. The book of James has, a, has some significant prophecy in it. It talks about the inequality of the rich and the poor. It talks about how uh, rich countries like the United States are robbing people from their salaries. And, and there, there's another law in the Bible that I don't know if many of you are aware of, but uh, Leviticus chapter 19 and we are just as guilty as this as any nation or country. Leviticus chapter 19, uh, we're violating the law um, of stealing here. And Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13 states this, Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. It gives you an example of robbing. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. So we should be getting paid every day, ladies and gentlemen. Instead, we get paid every two weeks, or some get paid monthly, and some get paid weekly. But God wants us to get paid daily. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. And gives an example of robbery. The wages of him that is higher shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. So those wages must be released according to that uh, scripture. Let me read that in another uh version for you to understand. 
and, and the complete Jewish Bible verse, do not oppress or rob your neighbor. Specifically, you are not to keep back the wages of a hired worker all night into the morning. So the wages should be paid on a daily basis. And, and many people don't understand that today. So... just wanted to clarify that. Now, getting back to, remember when Christ prayed, prayed for my daily bread? <laughs> People were paid daily back then, but it's different today in our society, unfortunately. All right, so that is uh, the book of James. I wanted to go over that with, with everyone and... Um, we are living in, in biblical times today, and we need to be aware of that, and we need to tighten our belt, and we need to, to understand that um, things are only going to get worse for us before they get better because of violation of God's laws. And this, um, I'll just read the headline and maybe a little paragraph in the main two minutes I have left here. The New York Times article dated February 21, 2010, it states the millions of unemployed face years without jobs. It says even as the American and this is by Peter S. Goodman, even as the American economy shows tentative signs of a rebound, which is a lie, the human toll of the recession continues to mount, with millions of Americans remaining out of work, out of savings, and nearing the end of their unemployment benefits. Economists fear that the recovery will leave more people behind than in past recessions failing to create jobs in sufficient numbers to absorb the record-setting ranks of the long-term unemployed. So that's the situation that we are in, ladies and gentlemen. It's a very serious situation. It's a situation that has been prophesied by James and, and Malachi and, and other prophecies of the Bible, and we must uh, understand the seriousness of this situation and realize that this is a sign that our Lord and Savior will be coming back soon. So, ladies and gentlemen, may God bless and keep you, and I'll speak to you next week. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. <laughs>